Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Many of us felt a little lonely when we were stuck at home during the pandemic. And did you know it may have changed your brain? Feelings of loneliness prompt changes in the brain that further isolate people from social contact. That's next. Untangle the mysteries of the universe in the quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quantum Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. The Neumeyer 3 Polar Station sits near the edge of Antarctica's unforgiving Ekstrome ice shelf. During the winter, temperatures can plunge below minus 50 degrees Celsius, and winds can climb to more than 100 kilometers per hour. No one can come or go from the station. Its isolation is essential to the meteorological, atmospheric, and geophysical science experiments conducted there. But the handful of scientists who staff the station during the winter months have to endure its frigid loneliness. A few years ago, the station became the site for a study of loneliness itself. A team of scientists in Germany wanted to see whether the social isolation and environmental monotony marked the brains of people making long Antarctic stays. Eight expeditioners working at the Neumeyer 3 station for 14 months agreed to have their brains scanned before and after their mission, and to have their brain chemistry and cognitive performance monitored during their stay. As the researchers described in 2019, in comparison to a control group, the socially isolated team lost volume in their prefrontal cortex. That's the region at the front of the brain, just behind the forehead, that's chiefly responsible for decision-making and problem-solving. They also had lower levels of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, a protein that nurtures the development and survival of nerve cells in the brain. The reduction persisted for at least a month and a half after the team's return from Antarctica. It's uncertain how much of this was due purely to the social isolation of the experience, But the results are consistent with evidence from more recent studies that chronic loneliness significantly alters the brain in ways that only worsen the problem. Neuroscience suggests that loneliness doesn't necessarily result from a lack of opportunity to meet others or a fear of social interactions. Instead, circuits in our brain and changes in our behavior can trap us in a catch-22 situation. While we desire connection with others, we view them as unreliable, judgmental, and unfriendly. Consequently, we keep our distance, consciously or unconsciously spurning potential opportunities for connections. Loneliness can be difficult to study empirically because it is entirely subjective. Social isolation, a related condition, is different. It's an objective measure of how few relationships a person has. The experience of loneliness has to be self-reported, although researchers have developed tools such as the UCLA Loneliness Scale to help with assessing the depths of an individual's feelings. From such work, it's clear that the physical and psychological toll of loneliness across the globe is profound. In one survey, 
22% of Americans and 23% of British people said they felt lonely always or often. That was before the pandemic. As of October of 2020, 36% of Americans reported serious loneliness. But loneliness doesn't merely feel bad. It takes a toll on our health. It can lead to high blood pressure, stroke, and heart disease. It can also double the risk of type 2 diabetes and raise the likelihood of dementia by 40%. As a consequence, chronically lonely people tend to have an 83% higher mortality risk than those who feel less isolated. Organizations and governments often attempt to help with loneliness by encouraging people to get out more and by setting up hobby clubs, community gardens, and craft groups. Yet, as the neuroscience shows, getting rid of loneliness isn't always that simple. When neuroscientists from Germany and Israel set out to investigate loneliness a few years ago, they expected to find that its neural underpinnings were like those of social anxiety and involved the amygdala. The amygdala is often called the fear center of the brain. Jana Liebertz is a doctoral student at the University of Bonn in Germany, who was part of the research team. We know it for all anxiety disorders that the amygdala is hyperactivated. So for social anxiety, of course, if I see social interactions or other people, then the amygdala is hyperactivated and people suffering from social anxiety. Even if it's a happy interaction, there's some sort of fear in us if we suffer from social anxiety. And of course, if I avoid social interactions because I fear them, I am probably lonely. So that we have a close overlap between anxiety and loneliness. So the amygdala tends to activate when we face things we dread, from snakes to other humans. We thought, okay, social anxiety is associated with increased amygdala activity. This should be also the case for lonely individuals. But a study that the team published in 2022 revealed that although threatening social situations trigger more amygdala activity in people suffering from social anxiety, they don't have that effect on lonely people. Similarly, people with social anxiety have diminished activity in the reward sections of their brain, and that doesn't appear to be true for lonely people. Here's Liebertz again. Everything which is really established for social anxiety, especially this amygdala hyperactivity in uh, social decision, but also during social feedback, was not evident in loneliness. The core features of social anxiety were not evident. Liebert says those results suggest that treating loneliness simply by telling lonely people to go out and socialize more will often not work because it fails to address the root cause of the loneliness. A recent meta-analysis confirmed that simply providing lonely people with easier access to potential friends has no effect on subjective loneliness. The problem with loneliness seems to be that it biases our thinking. In behavioral studies, lonely people picked up on negative social signals, such as images of rejection, within 120 milliseconds. That's twice as quickly as people with satisfying relationships, and it's less than half the time it takes to blink. Lonely people also prefer to stand farther away from strangers, trusted others less, and disliked physical touch. Danilo Bizdok is an interdisciplinary researcher at McGill University with a background in neuroscience and machine learning. 
lonely individuals are known to be victim to something of a downward spiral. Mm. If somebody is lonely, their cognition, their tendencies, their interpretation of the situations, they are pushing them to become even more lonely. Some powerful examples are their interpretations of social cues, faces, messages, whatever. They tend to be more negative than they actually are. So they will tend to end up with the more negative spin of whatever information they receive. That drives them even deeper into this loneliness pit. Bizdoc and his colleagues conducted the largest studies to date, looking for signatures of loneliness in the human brain. He says the studies involved about 100 times more subjects than any prior studies. They used data from the UK Biobank, a biomedical database that contains the brain scans of about 40,000 residents of the United Kingdom, along with information about their social isolation and loneliness. Their results were published in 2020 in Nature Communications. They revealed that the brain's loneliness hotspot nestles within the default network, a part of the brain that activates when we are mentally on standby. Here's BizDoc. Until um, 20 years ago, we didn't even know that we have this brain system. But it turns out to consume most of the energy in the brain. The brain is very energy hungry in general, but the mm. default network is taking the biggest part of this. Bizdoc and his team showed that some regions of the default network are not only larger in chronically lonely people, but also more strongly connected to other parts of the brain. The default network seems to be involved in many of the distinctive abilities that have evolved in humans, such as language, anticipating the future, and causal reasoning. More generally, the default network activates when we think about other people, including when we interpret their intentions. The findings on default network connectivity provided neuroimaging evidence to support previous discoveries by psychologists that lonely people tend to do things like daydream about social interactions, says Bizdoc. Loneliness, an aspect of it, is maybe compensating for lack of social stimulation in all sorts of ways, several of which may involve generating information from the inside that can be regurgitating past social events, thinking more about future social events, or contemplating possible social events outside of a time frame. So just considering more social events, they're not actually present in the physical space. And it could be connected to observations that psychologists made multiple times, which is, for example, more lonely people tend to have more intense relationships with pets. They talk more to their cats as if they were a human. So they anthropomorphize them. They act as if they had a human spirit, which you could interpret as compensatory behaviors to make up for an actual social need by coming up with all sorts of over-interpretations and internal information that maybe tries to fill this gap. And if that's true, then yes, it would require the default network to do that. While loneliness can lead to a rich imaginary social life, it can make real-life social encounters less rewarding. Bizdoc and his colleagues may have identified a reason why in a 2021 study that was also based on the UK biobank data. They looked separately at socially isolated people and at people with low social support, as measured by a lack of someone to confide in on a daily or almost daily basis. 
The researchers found that in all such individuals, the orbital frontal cortex, a part of the brain linked to processing rewards, was smaller. In 2022, a large brain imaging study based on data from more than 1,300 Japanese volunteers revealed that greater loneliness is associated with stronger functional connections in the brain area that handles visual attention. This finding supports previous reports from eye-tracking studies that lonely people tend to focus excessively on unpleasant social cues, such as being ignored by others. And yet, although lonely people may find encounters with others uncomfortable and unrewarding, they still seem to crave connection. The late John Cacioppo, a University of Chicago neuroscientist whose research earned him the nickname Dr. Loneliness, hypothesized that loneliness is an evolved adaptation. Similar to hunger, it signals that something has gone awry in our lives. Just as hunger motivates us to look for food, loneliness should drive us to seek out connection to others. For our ancestors on the African savanna, whose survival probably depended on having ties to a group, that social impulse might have been a matter of life or death. Recent brain imaging data supports the idea that loneliness is deeply rooted in our psyche. In one study, Livia Tomova, a research associate in neuroscience at the University of Cambridge, and her colleagues asked 40 people to fast for 10 hours. They then had their brains scanned while they looked at pictures of mouth-watering foods. Subsequently, the same volunteers had to spend 10 hours alone, without phones, email, or even novels as surrogates for contact. Then they had a second brain scan, this time while looking at pictures of happy groups of friends. When the scientists compared the brain scans of these individuals, the brain activation patterns when they were hungry and when they felt lonely were remarkably alike. To Tomova, the experiment underlined an important truth about loneliness. What it highlights is the importance of social contact. So if being deprived of social contact, if that already elicits neural signals that are pretty much the same as being deprived of food, which is the most basic thing that we need, it does highlight how basic our need to connect with others is. So I would say it suggests to us that being lonely is not something that might be just, we can take kind of like, oh, well, it's not ideal, but the person just happens to experience life that way. But I think it points that this could be a very serious problem. And indeed, what we know from psychology research is that people who experience loneliness are very prone to develop mental health problems or even cardiovascular problems, all kinds of issues so they actually become sick. Recent studies also appear to confirm an evolutionary theory called the social brain hypothesis. That proposes that a busy social life is linked to bigger brains. The idea originated as a theory about how brains might have changed through evolution, but the larger brain size seems to emerge directly from life experiences too. In general, non-human primates in captivity that live in larger social groups or share spaces with more cage mates have larger brains. More specifically, the primates have more gray matter in their prefrontal cortex. Research suggests humans are not much different. A 2022 study found that elderly lonely people often have atrophy in parts of the brain, including the thalamus, which processes emotions, and the hippocampus, a memory center. 
The authors suggested these changes could help explain links between loneliness and dementia. Of course, the chicken and egg question about all these findings is, do differences in the brain predispose us to loneliness, or does loneliness rewire and shrink the brain? According to BizDoc, it's not currently possible to solve this puzzle, but he believes that the causality may point both ways. Primate studies and the results of the Neumeyer III polar station experiment show that experience and social environment can exert a powerful influence on the structure of an individual's brain, hardwiring the changes that loneliness can cause. On the other hand, studies of twins have shown that loneliness is partly heritable. Almost 50% of the variation in individuals' feelings of loneliness can be explained by genetic differences. People suffering from chronic loneliness are not irretrievably locked into those feelings by nature and nurture. Studies show that cognitive therapies can be effective at reducing loneliness by training people to recognize how their behaviors and thought patterns hinder them from forming the kinds of connections they value. Better interventions for loneliness and social isolation should be possible. Take a recent study in which Liebertz and her colleagues looked at the brain activity in people playing a trust-based game. In the brain scans of lonely people, one brain region, called the insula, was far less active than in social people. That region, the insula, tends to activate when we examine our gut feelings. But Liebert says lonely people may not experience that the same way. We have a lot of decreased brain activity during this trust processing in brain regions, which are important for trust processing, but also social interaction in general. So maybe we have less combination of all these signals in the insula, a more insecure feeling in our individuals if they can trust or not. So maybe we have like not this safe gut feeling. That might be a reason why they have problems in trusting others because they cannot rely on their feelings if a person was trustworthy or not. So then they have the safety behavior and say, okay, no, then I don't trust at all. Interventions that target trust could therefore be part of a solution to the catch-22 of loneliness. Another idea is to encourage synchrony. Research shows that one key to how much people like and trust each other lies in how closely their behaviors and reactions match from moment to moment. This synchrony between individuals can be as simple as reciprocating a smile or mirroring body language during conversation, or as elaborate as singing in a choir or being part of a rowing team. In a recent study, Liebertz and her colleagues showed that lonely people struggle to synchronize with others. The researchers found that this discordance causes the regions of their brain responsible for observing actions to go into overdrive. Coaching lonely people in how to join in with the actions of others could be another strategic intervention to consider. Here's Liebertz again. This will probably not be able to decrease loneliness just by telling them that you should synchronize and have a look at it, but it might be a starting point. And if all else fails, there could be new chemical therapies. In one experiment in Switzerland, volunteers took the psychoactive compound in magic mushrooms. Afterward, they reported feeling less socially excluded. And scans of their brains showed less activity in areas that process painful social experiences. 
while interventions such as cognitive behavioral therapy, promoting trust and synchrony, or even ingesting magic mushrooms could help treat chronic loneliness, transient feelings of solitude will most likely always remain part of the human experience. Tomova compares loneliness to stress. Long-term loneliness is the thing that's problematic. If we feel lonely once in a while, that's obviously not a problem because then we tend to seek out social contact. I like to think about it in the analogy like with acute or chronic stress. So acute stress is also something that's in and of itself not necessarily negative because it provides energy to the body and then we deal with challenges. But it becomes problematic when it's chronic because our bodies are not meant to be in this constant state. I think of it very similarly with loneliness. So our adaptive mechanisms ultimately then break down and then that's when we see pathology. Arlene Santana helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Marta Zaraska's full article, How Loneliness Reshapes the Brain, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quantum Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. <music>